chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Let's begin with 1 Peter 5 and take up a subject that I hope will be convicting, provoking, encouraging to all of your hearts, especially the hearts of the men in this assembly who ought to be the objects of most preaching. Coordinated only by God, there's a couple of pages from the Rocky Mountain News in the back table that I hope you'll read about the man Bill McCartney and find them to the profit and encouragement of your soul that he was a man who wouldn't compromise, who hasn't yet, and is taking a great deal of uh, evil for that from our society. I hope you'll read it. God coordinated that coming this week, and it being in my briefcase, I had forgotten about it until this morning, and you will see how perfectly it lines up with what I want to preach today. And you'll have to believe me when I say I had forgotten that I had it in my briefcase until this morning, when you see what we want to consider today. I want to read to you two verses from 1 Peter chapter 5. We have spent the last couple of Sundays considering, first from Revelation 20, and second from the final judgment, the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and his successful, glorious victory over the devil and Satan, and our duty, our responsibility, our privilege to live a life because of that that would please him so that in that day we might face him with all boldness because we've lived a life like Paul did when he was in this world. And as I have considered Satan, the devil, and his ability to influence the lives of men, I want to a, approach a Bible story this morning in a way that I hope will provoke us to live lives of strength and without compromise against this being. First right. Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. I have said before that I believe the number one problem in a Christian's life is not their lack of knowledge. It's not the lack of how to please God. It's not the lack of how to order their lives. It's the lack of fortitude to do so. It's the lack of courage to do so. Right. It's the lack of strength to do so. It's the lack of temperance, as the Bible would say it. It's not that we don't know what we ought to be doing or what we ought not to be doing, it's that we don't have the guts. We don't have the courage or the, or the strength to do what we know we ought to do or to deny what we shouldn't be doing. And as I come to a text like this, I believe the apostle had the same warning in mind for us to be sober. That's not asking for an increase in knowledge. That's asking for a degree of seriousness and gravity about the war that we're in. Be sober. Be vigilant. 
That doesn't mean you don't know what to look for. That means you look. I mean, a guard who is put on duty knows what he ought to be looking for, but the vigilance of keeping watch is making sure his eyes are open and he spots what he's looking for. It's not that he's in ignorance of, of danger. It's will he see the danger consciously or will he sleep? Will he be at rest when the time of trouble comes? Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, though defeated by Jesus Christ at the cross, your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. We still are in a warfare with the devil himself. Right. He legally has been defeated by the Lord Jesus Christ, but he practically is our arch enemy and is out to devour us as a lion would devour us that was hungry and walking about. Whom resist? We're to put up a fight. We're to resist steadfast in the faith. That means standing our ground, not giving up, not compromising, but right. standing our ground against the devil who's walking about trying to seduce us into compromise where he might devour us by taking us off our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and our life of godliness. That's what I want to preach to you this morning. Now come over to 2 Peter 2 and you'll see how I want to do it. 2 Peter chapter 2. The apostle here in this second epistle warns the saints of false prophets that would rise among them. And he gives some descriptions of how God is always able to divide between the righteous and the wicked, between the just and the unjust. God knows how to preserve the just and deliver them out of trouble. Right. And how to reserve the unjust to the day of judgment. And he gives us several illustrations of that fact. And the illustration I want to deal with this morning and this evening is given to us in verses 6 through 9. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them, in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day, with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under the day of judgment to be punished. Amen. This description here is God knows how to draw a difference between the men of Sodom and Lot. There was a difference. Lot was a godly man according to the illustration and comparison with verse 9. He was a righteous man because it says he had a righteous soul in verse 8. He was a just man because it describes him as such in verse 7. And so I will defend Lot as much as I can today because the Bible tells me I ought to. He was a just, he was a righteous, and he was a godly man, but he was a weak, just, righteous, and godly man. He was a compromising just, righteous, and godly man. And we want to use him today as an example of the godly who are at times delivered out of trouble 
contrary to their own efforts. While the wicked are reserved to judgment, and yet we'll see that while Lot was delivered from the city of Sodom, he was not delivered altogether from the trouble that he brought upon himself and his family by his compromising weakness in his religion. Let's turn now in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11, and let's take a study of the man Lot this morning, and I pray, and have prayed, and yet pray, and am praying, that God will use this to convict all of us, lest we be like Lot. Oh, to have a legally righteous soul, and to be legally just as Lot was, amen, God be thanked. To be regenerated and born again and to have a righteous soul as Lot did. God be thanked for that. And to have righteous character that Lot had. Lot had righteous character. We'll see that. There was righteousness in the life of Lot. But he was weak. And he compromised. (laughs) And he ruined himself and his family as a consequence. He might have been legally saved. He might have been vitally saved. He might have had some good things about him, but he wasted his life. He did not achieve or obtain God's best for his life. He brought his life into ruin and ignominy and shame and that of his family along with him. And I pray that we'll be moved not to be like Lot. You know, the Bible tells us these Old Testament stories. By stories, I don't mean fables. I mean historical accounts. Right. were given to us for our learning. That we would learn not to do the things that they did. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6 and verse 11. That's right. These things are given to us as examples so that we will not do what they did and bring upon ourselves the trouble that resulted when they made their poor choices. Now when we come to Genesis chapter 11, we read in verses 27 through 32 that there was a man named Terah. He was a Chaldean. He lived in Mesopotamia. That's the land between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, now the land of Iraq and Iran. And he lived there, and he had three sons. Their names were Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now Haran had a boy named Lot, and Haran died early. He died before his father died, these verses tell us. And God had called Abram to leave Mesopotamia and to go into Canaan. That's to leave that part of the world that we would now call Iran or Iraq, and traveled out into what we would call Israel. And so he left, not fully keeping the commandment of God, but bringing his father along with him. God said, leave your father. But he brought his father. They came about halfway and stopped and named the place where they stopped after their dead brother, Haran. And in Haran, Terah died. So two deaths occur. The grandfather of this family and The father of Lot, the brother of Abram, died. So that now we have Abram and Lot together, leaving the land of Mesopotamia. Nahor stayed there. Nahor stayed there, married some wives, had some kids, and one of them will provide a wife for Isaac and a a granddaughter for Jacob in time to come, but we're not going to worry about them. Abram and Lot come into the land of Canaan. Abram and Lot are together. They're close. Abram's the, the... taking care of his nephew, Lot, whose father has died. In a time of famine, Abram takes the whole family down to Egypt. They stay there for a while and come out of Egypt. 
The Bible tells us that Lot was with him. They traveled together. God prospered them and blessed them because Abram was by faith obeying the call of God to go into the land of Canaan. Now we come to Genesis 13. We could have spent time reading and dissecting those verses in chapter 11 and some verses in chapter 12, but we'll come now to chapter 13 where we want to open the book on Lot to chapter 1, and it's called The Beginning. Let's open the book on Lot. Genesis 13, verse 5. And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. And the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together. For their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. Let's deal with these three verses briefly. These verses describe two men that have been blessed with such prosperity and being herdsmen and raising flocks and herds and so forth. They're unable to dwell together because their need for land is so great. Remember, you couldn't jump in an automobile and drive 20 miles and dwell together that way. You had to be separated in order to have grazing land for your flocks and your herds. These two are too great. And the Canaanite dwelling in the land then, remember Israel destroyed the Canaanites, Israel destroyed the Perizzites, but they were dwelling there then in Abraham's day, so they needed land. And so because of the demand for the natural resource called land, they needed to separate company in some way or fashion. In addition to that, there appeared to be some strife between the herdsmen of Lot and the herdsmen of Abram. Some envy there. And that's typical with human nature. They're going to strive with one another. One's going to want the watering holes first. One's going to want the best pastures for their herds rather than to give it to the others. And so there's strife between them. And so we come to verse 8. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. Abraham, the patriarch of this family, the father's dead, Terah's dead, and Lot's father is dead. Abraham's the patriarch as far as Lot's concerned. Abraham appeals to Lot and says, we shouldn't have strife, we're brethren. Let's handle this peacefully and divide our companies that we can still be brethren, yet we can't live together any longer, the land doesn't bear us, and we've got strife between our herdsmen. And Abraham graciously, look at the character of the man Abraham, graciousness. Abraham graciously says, and he didn't need to, he was the patriarch, he very well could have said, I'll take this land lot and I'll give you this other land. That would have been gracious too, but it wouldn't been, have been as gracious. But Abraham tells Lot to go ahead and choose whatever he wants. And that whatever Lot chooses, Abraham will take the leftovers. That's graciousness on the part of a patriarch. <coughs> Too bad Lot didn't have similar character, because if, if he had, Lot would have said two things in about this order. 
First of all, he would have said what Ruth said in chapter 1 of the little book named after her when she said, Entreat me not to leave thee. He would have made some arrangement to have stayed with God's man right. and have followed with Abraham. And there are plenty of ways that that could have been accomplished. That's right. But he didn't say that. Second of all, he would have said, Oh, Abraham, I'm just your nephew. You're God's chosen man. You're, you've been my protector. You make the choice. I'll take the leftovers. But Lot didn't do that. Now, Lot was a just man and a righteous man, but he didn't always show it. He was a weak man. And so when it came to a choice like that, and that would be a temptation for all of us. I mean, that would be a temptation for every one of us. If Abraham said, you make the choice and I'll take what's left, and said it very graciously, our evil hearts just might jump up and down saying, all right. And that's what Lot did. Lot didn't return the favor and tell Abraham to make the choice, which some reverence for Abraham would have done that. Now verse 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan. And Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves, the one from the other. We have read this morning, and I've quoted to you, that David said, Mine eye will be upon the faithful of the land. Was there a man more faithful? Who's known as the faithful man in Scripture? Abraham. Abraham. But Lot did not choose to be with the faithful of the land. That's a mistake he made. That's an error in judgment he made. David said, I'm a companion of all them that fear thee. Lot left the companionship of the man that feared God to make other companions. And so they separate. But I want you to notice here, uh, a second stage. This is the beginning of Lot's life. He didn't choose to stay with Abraham. He chose to separate. And now he chooses to make his decision based on his eyesight. And so he lifts up his eyes. Verse 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes. He should have bowed his eyes and asked God what land he should have taken. He should have gone to Abraham and said, Abraham, what would be the wisest choice for us to do? I don't want to make a hasty decision here or a foolish one or a personal one or a selfish one. Help me make a wise choice. But he lifted up his eyes. And what did he see? He saw that the plain of Jordan, I mean, this is the land on both sides of the Jordan River, and where you find a river, you find some fertile land. Trace the Mississippi River sometime and see what it does in our nation. Trace the Nile. Well, let's just go ahead and read the text here. With my, God gives you his own illustration. He doesn't need mine. Right. Genesis 13, verse 10, And beheld all the plain of Jordan, but it was well watered everywhere. That is, that is, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It was kind of dry after that. But it was well watered. Listen, this is... The divine storyteller has to insert that to remind us, for anyone reading this, that once upon a time, the land around Jordan was delightful. Before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, it was even as the garden 
of the Lord. It was like the Garden of Eden. I mean, when Lot lifted up his eyes, he saw prosperity. It was no illusion. There was true prosperity there. Watered by the Jordan River, blessed abundantly, so that it was like the Garden of Eden. And like the land of Egypt. You know, the land of Egypt, most of it's a desert wasteland. But there are places where the Nile River overflows its banks during the year and deposits some of the richest soil in the world that it's brought out of the rest of Africa there in the land of Egypt. Around the Delta, for those of you who remember that, I think I do, from earth science and uh, other courses, the Delta of the Nile River is very rich deposits of soil that it's hauled out of Ethiopia and Kenya all the way down into Egypt. And it was, it was fertile ground. And so the God's giving us here some descriptions <coughs> of just how well it did look when Lot lifted up his eyes. And when it says, As thou comest unto Zoar, that, refer, that is a descriptive phrase referring back to the earlier words of the fertile area. From Sodom and Gomorrah all the way to Zoar is the description of this property. Zoar isn't in Egypt. It's not near Egypt. You can't apply that phrase to Egypt because Zoar is one of the towns of the plain. It, it's the boundaries of it. And as you come to Zoar, you see all this. Prosperity. Lot chose this property. Verse 11 tells us, Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan. On what basis did he make his choice? On the sight of prosperity, he let his eyes do the talking to his soul instead of beseeching God for help. And listen, you will face choices involving prosperity in your life. That's right. And if you choose prosperity based on sight without choosing God and then him giving you prosperity, Amen. you make the wrong choice. You lose. Amen. You lose. If you choose God, now Abraham chose God. Was Abraham prospered? Abraham was very rich. But he chose God. God gave him the riches. That's right. God blessed him with the riches. He never sought them. God gave them to him. That's one thing. But when you make a decision based on prosperity and sacrifice companionship with God's faithful man, and you choose to compromise principle and relationships in a land of, the, of Sodom, in order to get prosperity, you lose. That's right. Yeah. You lose. It's compromise. We have a just man, a righteous man, and a godly man. But he made a poor choice. And we're going to face choices. God versus prosperity at right. times. The companionship of God-fearing people with the riches of this world and prosperity make the choice that God would have you make. Amen. The Bible tells us all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the, the lust of, of the eyes, and the pride of life is all that is in the world. It's of the devil. It's not of God. Right. Which one did Lot use to make his decision? The lust of the eyes. I read in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6, that Eve looked upon the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And oh, it looked like fruit to make one wise. And it looked like fruit that would taste good. So she ate of it. She looked. 
I made a choice based on that. I read in Genesis chapter 6, and these are events that uh, Lot might have known about. Genesis chapter 6, I read that when men began to multiply on the earth, that the sons of God, and those were the descendants of Seth who feared God, and Enos who called upon the name of God, when they saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, they married all that they chose. But they looked and made a choice based on sight (laughs) rather than a choice based on faith. Abraham walked by faith, not by sight. Lot walked by sight, not by faith. One was weak, one was strong. One was faithful, one was not. One was weak, and the other was not. One was steadfast, and one compromised. And Lot compromised in his choice. Do you remember Satan took Jesus Christ one time on a pinnacle of the temple? Or up into a high mountain, excuse me, up into a high mountain. And a moment of time showed him all the kingdoms of the world. Now when you show someone all the kingdoms of the world, what are you appealing to but their their sight? Jesus saw all the glory of the kingdoms of the world, and Satan said, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you all this, because it's delivered into my power, and I can give it to whomsoever I will. Jesus rebuked him, and said, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. He didn't didn't give in at all that glorious sight of the well-watered Jordan. As Lot did. You know, in chapter 12, some verses that we've skipped over, God appeared to Abram when Lot was with him. And God told Abram, Abram, this land of Canaan I've given to you and to your descendants, to your seed, for a heritage, for an inheritance. God told Abraham that. Lot was with Abraham then. Surely Lot knew that God had chosen Canaan. Right. And then God had chosen Abram. Lot not only left the man, he left the place That's right. that God had chose, had given to Abraham. You know, it's too bad that Lot didn't have the character of Moses. That's right. you know, Moses once saw some prosperity. Where did he see that? For 40 years, he lived in the lap of luxury in Pharaoh's court. And Hebrews eleven twenty four through 26 tells us, that he chose the affliction of the people of God rather than the riches of Egypt and the pleasures of sin for a season. He saw it all for 40 years. He tasted it. Moses lived well for 40 years. I mean, he was the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He was pampered and had all the luxury of a king. He was taught in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. He had all the, the advantage of this world that it can offer. But he chose rather to suffer with the people of God than to take that pleasure and to take those riches. He esteemed the reproach of Christ greater. That's right. Esteem means to value. He valued the reproach of Christ greater than the riches of Egypt. Amen. Lot never made the comparison that we know of. And whether he did or not, he chose the riches and the prosperity of Jordan. This marks is the beginning of his compromise. He leaves the man of God. He leaves the place of God. He bases a decision based on sight rather than by faith. Now we come to verse 12. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan. You know, that left Abram with the promised land of Canaan. And Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain pitched his tent 
toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. <coughs> Abram ends up with the leftovers. The leftovers happen to be Canaan. And who won? I mean, who won this little transaction? Abraham did because he walked by faith. God gave him the land of promise. And he had Canaan. Lot. He dwelt in the cities of the plain. In this prosperous, luxurious, blessed valley and plain. He dwelt there and pitched his tent toward Sodom. This is the beginning of the life of Lot. All we know prior to this point is Lot followed Abraham. Wherever Abraham went, Lot went. When the call came to Abraham, get out of your country. Get away from your kinfolk. Get away from everything you know and go into a land that you don't know that, I might, that I'm going to give you someday. Abraham went and Lot went right behind him. In a time of famine, they went down to the land of Egypt. Lot went right behind him. When Abraham said it's time to go back to Canaan, Lot went right behind him. But then when they had a little bit of difficulty in their life, and they had to make a choice, Lot chose to leave Abraham, to leave the man of God, to leave the blessings of God, and choose what his eyes saw instead. Now Lot never intended, Lot didn't intend to live in Sodom. Surely the reputation of this city was well known. I mean, the cities of San Francisco and Las Vegas are well known in our society. And the city of Sodom, if they were wicked, as we shall see they were, it was well known. When it says in verse 13 that they were sinners before the Lord exceedingly, that doesn't mean they were the only ones that knew it. Any city that's wholly <coughs> given over to sodomy is known by men. It gets a reputation. Even in those days, a city would have a reputation. Now, Lot didn't, Lot didn't plan on living in Sodom. He didn't just come right out and say, Abraham, all right, I want to go live down in Sodom. I feel bad for the Sodomites living down there. I think I ought to live with them. Maybe I can help them. Lot never intended to be a Sodomite. He was a righteous man. He was a just man. He did have some principle. But he was a weak man. He was a compromising man. And out of all those cities of the plains, Sodom must have been one of the largest and one of the most prosperous, and Lot pitched his tent toward it. Notice what the Word of God says. I don't care if this book is 381 years old. It's, those words are precious. Amen. He pitched his tent toward it. He didn't live in it. You could just know that he was headed in that direction. He was compromising. You couldn't say it any better without using that word. But he pitched his tent toward Sodom. He was open to the idea. He wasn't just going to move there directly inside the city, but he was open to it. He simply and innocently, well, I haven't done anything wrong yet. I haven't done anything wrong. I'm not a Sodomite. I don't love the Sodomites. I know they're wrong. And listen. Look at how God's blessing this place. Look at the prosperity. God's blessing's here too. Why can't I live here? I'm not a Sodomite. I hate sodomy. But he pitched his tent toward Sodom in order to get what the world had to offer him in this place. What if? What if Lot was ignorant of Sodom's wickedness? But let's assume he was. I mean, let's, just, let's just try to defend him on every count. 
He was ignorant. He should have asked. He should have proven all things and held fast that which is good. He should have asked God's will in the matter. But there was none of that. All he asked in the matter was what his eyes saw and took out his calculator and figured this will be to my advantage to live in this place and let Abraham have the other. And I'll pitch my tent toward the most prosperous part of it. You know, it's too bad that Lot didn't have the character that David had in Psalm 101. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. And this valley was known for turning aside from the commandments of God. And David said, I'll cut them off early and destroy them. Mine eye shall be upon the faithful of the land. That's what David said. Lot didn't say those things. Lot was a just man. Lot was a righteous man. Legally and vitally and sometimes practically. But in these choices, this is the beginning of the lot of life. The devil does not come to Christians and say, Here I am. Pitchfork and a forked tongue and a forked tail and a red suit. I hate God. Will you bow down and worship me and we'll hate him together? The devil does not come to you and say, wouldn't you like to be a sodomite? Listen, if you're at that stage of temptation, you've got bigger problems than I can handle in this sermon. He doesn't come that way initially. He breaks you down a little bit at a time. He'll come and say, look at the prosperity. God's blessing the place. You can live there and still be a decent man. Remember that about Satan. He walks about as a roaring lion. Have you ever seen a lion just stroll right up to a herd of uh, antelope in Africa? You know, we watch these National Geographic specials. Anything about a lion? Have you just seen him stroll up and think that they're just going to stand there while he walks up to him and tears one out of, the, out of the herd? He snakes! God's given cats that glorious ability to just wiggle along the ground. Hardly moving a thing without making a sound. They know how to Get downwind from the herd. Credibly intelligent by instinct that God gave them. He doesn't just jump out and say, here I am, I'm going to grab one of you. Which one wants to be my supper tonight? That's what people think the devil does. He doesn't work that way. He says, can't you be a rich Christian? Can't you be a rich Christian? There is no such thing as a rich Christian when that question is posed that way. That's right. There is no such thing. That's right. You cannot serve God and mammon. Amen. The man who serves Amen. Christ and God gives him riches ends up being a rich Christian, but he never chose to be a rich Christian. A man who chooses to be a rich Christian isn't a Christian. Amen. That's right. He's a compromiser. You don't choose to be a rich Christian. They that will be rich in this world fall into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Abraham didn't choose it. David didn't choose it. God gave it. God gave it. It makes all the difference in the world. I wish Lot had had the character of David and wanted to cut off these men and not live near them. But since Lot's dead... And his life in the body is all wrapped up. And he'll give an account of it. The souls that are left are yours and mine. What will we do with the lesson from Lot's life? This is the beginning. We cannot let compromise even get started in our lives 
This is the beginning of a ruined life. He left the man of God. He left the place, the land of God, the promises of God for prosperity. He didn't move right into Sodom. He wasn't a Sodomite. He wasn't just going to jump right into their city and support them. He just opened himself up for their influence. He said, I'll not live there. I'll just live in this valley. I'll try to get some of the blessings here. And I'll be a decent man. But he compromised. He opened himself up for evil. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Where was the kingdom of God in Lot's day? It was with Abraham. It was with Abraham. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Abraham never wanted. Abraham didn't want for things. We can't allow associations to corrupt us as we're about to see Lot get corrupted. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. What kind of communications did Lot give up? Godly good ones from Abraham. What did he replace them with? The cities of the plain. All the cities of the plain were destroyed except for a little one named Zoar. He chose their communication rather than Abraham's communication. Be not deceived. Lot said, well, maybe I can be a good influence. Have you ever heard that one? Maybe I can be a good influence. That is a lie from hell. Right. No exceptions. That is a lie from hell. I can be a good influence. That's a lie from hell. God said, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Good manners don't perfect evil communications. It's the other way around. Lot made a bad choice. He was weak. that's, That's the beginning of the life of Lot. Let's move now to the seduction of Lot. See, verse 13 ends, and we don't read any more about Lot, except we read about Abraham. But we come over to chapter 14, and we read about a war that took place. Four kings came against the cities of the plain. And so there was war. We read about this war, the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah. If you read in verse 2, the king of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboim, and Zoar, five cities of the plains, are at war against four other kings. And we come down and we read that the four kings came and took away the property of the five kings. That is, the cities of the plain, though they had great prosperity, lost a war. Now, if you lose a war, someone's not on your side. God's not on your side. But we want to read just one little verse here in Genesis 14, verse 12, verse 11. Let's read two. And they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah, and all their victuals, and went their way. That is, the four kings that defeated the five kings. Verse 12, and they took Lot, Abram's brother's son. What? Who dwelt in Sodom, and his goods, and departed. The next time we come across the name of Lot, where is he? Is he still pitching his tent toward Sodom? Or is he living in Sodom? He's living in Sodom, Genesis chapter 14, and that's where he's taken captive by these four kings that were against the cities of the plain. You know, when he left Abram, he didn't intend to live in Sodom. He just pitched his tent toward it. But the next time we find him, he's in it. And that is always what will happen. If you compromise, if you compromise, 
and allow evil communication in your life, it will corrupt your good manners to where you had some reserve, that reserve will start to disappear. Guaranteed. God said it, I didn't. Amen. Amen. Guaranteed. If you allow evil communications, it will break down your reserve. To say that it won't, that there are means you can take to keep it, you're sucking up to another lie. There are not means to allow evil communications and win. Be not deceived. Right. Evil communications corrupt good manners. If you think otherwise, you're a deceived person. He didn't intend to live there, but he ended up there. Somebody might say, well, he ended up there because he had to move into Sodom because of the war. I mean, there were four kings coming against the five, and to protect himself, he had to move his family inside the city walls of Sodom. That doesn't make Lot any better than he was before. Because if he hadn't moved there, he wouldn't have got into those circumstances. Right. Compromise is what got him into the circumstances where he ended up inside the city walls of Sodom, whether he went there by choice or whether he went there because of the war. It matters not. He got there because of compromise. He opened himself up to that evil community. He lived in it. He pitched toward it. He made himself subject to whatever set of circumstances God dealt them, he was going to receive them also. Look at the word of God. Holding your hand here at Genesis 15, look at Psalm 1. Psalm 1. Brethren, we must be in an evil day. Men of strength and character and not compromise. Right. We have got to pull back our children, our wives, ourselves. And hold the line. Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. There's a blessed man. Lot was not such a man. That's why he was being took captive in a war. Abraham was such a blessed man. Verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. And you shall see before we're done today that Abraham fulfills verse 3, and Lot fulfills the antithesis of verse 3. Lot withers and floats away into ignominy, shame, and reproach. Abraham is blessed abundantly because Abraham meditated in the law of the Lord and would not stand sit or walk with the scornful and the wicked of this world. And that made the great difference in their lives. Come over to Psalm 26. Psalm 26. And let these be warnings to you and yeah. to me, lest we be like Lot. Psalm 26, verse 4. I have not sat, David said, with vain persons. Neither will I go in with dissemblers. I have hated the congregation of evildoers, and will not sit with the wicked. Listen to the man David say, I hate him, I won't sit with them, I'll have nothing to do with them. This is a man with strength of character. You say, well, David sinned too. Oh, yeah, all men sin. Yes, David sinned. But David didn't ruin his life with sin. David chose to avoid the company of wicked men in this particular psalm and many others like the one that we read earlier this morning. 
The Bible tells us even in the New Testament, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship does righteousness have with unrighteousness? What kind of a relationship is a righteous man going to have with unrighteous men? Right. Even when it's for business purposes, you better be careful. Amen. <clears throat> oh, that lot could have said that. This is for business. This is for business. I need to do this. This is for business. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Goodbye, lot. You lost. You better be careful of every relationship that we enter into and every source of evil communications that comes into our lives into our lives and cut them off everywhere we can. They'll be the ruin of you as they were the ruin of Lot. Come back to Genesis chapter 14, where we find him dwelling in the city of Sodom. But that city were wicked and sinned before the Lord exceedingly, and Lot's living there. A just man, a righteous man, more than just legally and vitally. There's God. There, you'll, you'll see some things. And the Bible tells us. And I don't see in 2 Peter 2 why I need to limit the, the uh, word just, the word righteous, and the word godly to legal and vital only because if I do, the comparison won't hold up because the comparison were for the saints that Peter was writing. There were good things about Lot, but he was weak and he compromised. And now we find him in the city. When you associate with the wicked, you open yourself up to the set of circumstances that God's going to deal there. Now, if you were to read the rest of Genesis chapter 14, you'll find out that God blesses Abraham to take his 318 trained servants, trained for war, that is, not trained for hoeing, <laughs> trained for war, and he armed them, and they went out and they had a war, and Abraham and 318 trained servants defeated four kings, that had just whipped five kings. That's nice. That's God Amen. and his blessing. But the blessing was upon <laughs> Abraham for whose sake? For Abraham's sake. If you will read this, you will find the blessing flowing through Abraham. Abraham loved his nephew Lot. Yes, Lot was involved in the blessing, but it was for Abraham's sake. Right. You don't find Lot engineering an escape from the four kings because of God's blessing on Lot, you find Abraham being the one blessed by God. You know what would what would that do to you if you just if you'd been living in Sodom with your righteous soul being vexed from day to day? Now let's take the testimony of Scripture. Here's a man who knows that he's doing wrong. His righteous soul is vexed. He is tore up over the sodomy that's going on in the city. He sees it. I mean, it's being done in the streets. The Bible tells us he saw it. He flipped channels on TV. And when the kids were in bed, he ran into some of those cable channels and saw it going on in his own city. He heard it. 2 Peter chapter 2 tells us these things. It vexed his righteous soul. He knew he was compromising. He knew it was wrong. It tore him up. Vexation is a strong word. But it didn't have the strength. He didn't have the resolve to change his life. I am appealing to everyone right now, including myself. There are times where we know we're letting things slip. Our kids are getting away from us. Our kids are getting away with things that we know they ought not to be allowed to get away with. Our families watching things on television we ought not to being allowed we ought not to allow. 
The kids are, have friendships that we shouldn't be allowing. And it grieves us in our heart. We see them slipping. We see ourselves slipping. We see our family slipping. But guess what? There's no courage. There's no strength. There's no resolve. There's no guts. There's no fortitude to say, wait a minute. We stop right here. And if you don't like it, so what? I am responsible for this home, and we're going to change right now. That's what Lot should have done. If Lot would have if Lot would have gotten that city when his soul vexed him, if he had said, family, forget this, we are going after Abram right now, and if we have too much to, to dwell in the same land, we'll sell some of it. Amen. But we're going after Abraham. We're going right. to get out of this place. You know what the wife would have said? But the kids are in school. The kids are in school. We can't move right now. And if that man gave her even 1% of the decision, he'd lose. Because when you get that resolve in your heart, when you read scripture and you get the resolve, guess what you've got to do right then? Right then, act on it. Right. If you don't act on it, you'll lose the resolve. The devil will take it away. Your weak flesh will take it away. The kids would have said, but we've made all our friends here. You would have said to yourself, I've got this business. How can I just sell it? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's poor times right now. If I sell it, I'm going to get the load down. I'm going to get 20 cents in the dollar for it. A man of strength says, enough is enough. I want you to remember from the New Testament, Lot was vexed every day. That's right. I fear that there are some of you who know when you're in sin, who know when your families are slipping, who know when you're not giving your family the leadership that they ought to have, you know it in your heart, you blow it out. The devil blows it out. And you don't grab a hold of the situation and take some drastic action. And if it's not drastic, it's not by faith. Because if it's not drastic, it's just like what everyone else is doing. The only way Lot could have saved himself is with drastic action. What do you think he's going to do? Well, we'll homeschool. <laughs> you know, we'll homeschool. That'll save my family. That's not enough. Amen. Well, we'll go to church every Sunday. <laughs> I'll make sure the kids are there twice a Sunday. That's not enough. That's right. We'll have family devotions in my home. That's not enough. It's got to be the whole thing. Right. And one of the things is getting away from the company of the wicked. And he couldn't have done it. <laughs> Is Sodom. He had to get out, and he didn't. It requires drastic action. What would you have been thinking to yourself if you've been vexed every day, and all of a sudden you hear the wars on the horizon, and and you in your righteous soul get down and ask God to preserve you and your family? Let's assume he did that. I mean, he's a righteous man. He's a just man. He's a godly man. But you lose. <coughs> you lose the battle. You're taken captive. Everything you own. You're being hauled away into a foreign land. Isn't there a time in all of our lives that we ought to say, what's all this happening to me? I've got a soul that will not let me rest because it's so vexed with the wickedness around me, and now God's not helping me. And then you're rescued by Abraham, a man who calls on God, comes screaming in the middle of the night, three companies of trained servants, and they win. You say, now wait a minute, God is with that man. Don't you think he'd shake you up a little bit to say, I ought to get some things right in my life. But you know what Lot does? Thank you, Abraham. Kids, look at the house. We're back home, kid. Kids, remember the neighbors? Remember the Joneses? I know they're a little strange. 
and they've tried a few weird things with you, but listen, we're back home. Make yourself comfortable. He didn't have the courage to leave. He didn't have the strength to leave that wicked city. Careful and a prudent man would have considered those things and followed Abraham. I want you to remember he was a just man. I'm not saying anyone in here this morning or anyone who views this tape or hears this audio tape is a sodomite. If you are, you've got problems that are to be addressed by other sermons. My point this morning is that I'm speaking to just men, righteous men, and godly men, but who are weak and are not leading their families. And leading is not asking the wife what she thinks because she doesn't know what to do. And it's not asking the kids what would make them happy because they have foolishness bound in their hearts. It's a man who, why do you think God made you a man? That's right. To lead the helpless wives and children. It's a man that will say, I'm going to walk by faith. <coughs> family is going to live by faith. We're going to live by promise rather than prosperity. Amen. You compromise that, you're selling your family. That's right. You are despicable. I am despicable. We're selling our families. Watch the oblivion that Lot's family goes into. By oblivion, it's not oblivion because it doesn't go out of existence. It just takes on the most ugly, ugly, perpetual reproach on the nation of Israel. That's the seduction. What happened to Lot? He was with Abraham. He followed Abraham everywhere. He pitched his tent towards Sodom. That was the beginning. The seduction, he moved <coughs> He moves into Sodom, and even after he's rescued, he remains in Sodom. Now he's trapped. We come to Genesis 19. The third, the third chapter, the fourth chapter we want to look at in the lot of life is his entrapment. Now, do you all know what's in chapter 18, Genesis 18? God and a couple of angels come down and speak to Abraham and tell him, I'm about to burn up those cities. Their wickedness is so great, I can't stand it any longer. I'm going to burn them up. And Abraham begs for the life of his, his nephew Lot. And he reasons God down from 50 souls to 10 souls. You know, we're not told why he stopped at 10. But here's, here's one possible hypothesis for 10. Lot and his wife, two unmarried daughters at home, three married daughters and their husbands make 10. Because you're going to see circumstances that fit that. Right. Because Abram did stop at 10. He must have thought he could have saved everything for 10. But let's come to chapter 19. The Lord's commuting with Abraham and the two angels take off. Verse 1. Genesis 19. Chapter 4. The life of Lot. And there came two angels to Sodom at even. Sat in the gate of Sodom. Let's stop right there. please. You know, I know you want to read ahead. You just want to jump through the whole story. Let's come to the conclusion and wrap it up. But listen, there's lessons to learn along the way. Amen. Lot is sitting in the gate of Sodom. Wait a minute. Lot in the gate. What was the gate known at in a city? Who sat in the gate? The influential people, the elders of the city. You say, well, maybe Lot thought he could have some influence there. Is that a godly attitude? Is there any basis in the word of God for that? No, there is not. He should have been out of the place. Right. Be not deceived. Evil communications will corrupt good manners. But he's trapped now. He compromised in the beginning. He is seduced to live there. And now he's getting involved there. 
in politics and society life. And I'm sure, after he came back from the rescue that was engineered by his uncle, I'm sure he was quite a hero. I mean, Abraham wouldn't take anything. Do you remember? The, the, the king of Sodom wanted to pay Abraham a great sum for having rescued him, and Abraham said, I'm not going to take one cent from you, or you'll go around thinking you made me rich. Now, there's a man of character. He didn't care about riches. Amen. But, you know, Lot was probably quite a hero. Oh, thank you, Lot, for your coming and delivering us. He would have been a well-known man in that city. And so he uses it. He's sitting in the gate. As to what degree of judgment he had, we don't know. We don't know, but he's sitting there. They wouldn't have let some mean man sit there. They wouldn't have let some obscure individual that they all hated because of his righteousness sit there. He was a compromiser, or they wouldn't have allowed him to sit there. Bill McCartney would, Bill McCartney would not have been sitting there. And I hope no one here would have been sitting there. You know, one statement about what God thought of Sodom mean you would not be sitting in their gate. Instead of calling them some nice term like homosexual, if you'd have called them faggots or queers, you wouldn't have been sitting in the gate. That's right. That's right. But Lot's in the gate. <laughs> the entrapment of Lot. He sat in the city gate. We can read many places in Scripture where the city gate's a place of influence. Don't ever, don't ever reason and don't let anyone tell you, well, maybe I can accomplish some good by associating with evil. That is, that is an evil to be warned against and to be saved from. You know, I'm going to jump ahead just here to tell you something that verse 1 doesn't tell us, but I need to do it just to keep going verse by verse. Lot had some marriages in the city. Lot had some marriages in the city. He's got sons-in-law. He's married off some of his daughters to the men of this city. He's really in now. He is in deep. We're going to come upon his sons-in-law in just a little while. Not this morning, but we'll come upon them. That's an evil warned against from the beginning of this book. Right. Not to let our sons and our daughters marry those that don't fear him. That's right. It's not a suggestion. Kids, I really would like it if you'd marry someone who fears God. It's not a suggestion. Listen, they don't have the ability to make a choice. Fathers need to make choices for them. That's right. Genesis 6, when the sons of God saw the daughters of men, they were fair. They chose and married all that they wished. There's evil marriages corrupting the human race, and God came down and obliterated it in the flood. What did it start with? Genesis chapter 6, marriages with the sons of men. I mean, with the daughters of men, the daughters of this world, the righteous men marrying wicked women. We come over, we find Abraham. You know, in a few chapters, Abraham, what's Abraham going to do? Lot, Lot just gave his daughters away to the men of Sodom. What Abraham do? Abraham called his servant, he said, you will go back to Mesopotamia, to my brother Nahor, and you will take from his family a wife for my son Isaac. And you will put your hand under my thigh right now and swear that you'll do that. And you will not take my son Isaac back into that land. Now, how old was Isaac when all this took place? Forty. I want some, some, how old? Forty. Forty? Really? I thought three white and 21 was a guide for parents today. Sorry. You know that expression. You know. <laughs> 
I just got a broken <laughs> pulpit. I, I didn't mean that in any evil way, Bill, and you know that. That's a common expression, free wedding 21. And, and, and it serves my purpose. <clears throat> you know, they say as long as if you're free and you're white, you're 21, go ahead and do whatever you want. It's an expression. How old was Isaac? 40. Who was making decisions about whom he would marry and where he would live? His father. His father did. His father said to his servant, swear before the God that I've served that you'll go back and get a wife out of my kindred for him. And he said, well, what if the woman doesn't want to leave her family? Abraham said, you will not dare take my son to meet her. You will bring her here because he's going to stay in the land that God has said is the land for our family. That's right. Amen. There's a man of character. What Lot do? His daughter came to him one day and said, Oh, I love Tommy. I love Tommy, Daddy. He's such a wonderful guy. He's just so nice. He's so kind. He's so sweet. He's just sweet, Daddy. I love Tommy. Can I marry Tommy? That's how they do it. And do you know what, do you know what the average dad says? Fine. Fine, honey. I want you to be happy. I'll do everything I can. How much can I pay? And then they go. And they pay for the ruin of their family. That's right. <laughs> Lot did that. We had to jump ahead. He had married daughters in that city. He was trapped. How did it start out? A choice. A choice. Prosperity is important. Abraham's not. Faithfulness isn't as important. And the ruin. We, we, we are for the most part. I know some of you fathers have older children than I have. But for the most part, we're a young congregation. But I stand and tremble and I preach sermons like this so that we'll be prepared before the day comes. Right. That we will do what God would do. We would do what Abraham did. And we would do what other righteous men like Abraham did since Abraham. And we would do what men like the saints of the New Testament did because the Apostle Paul taught the very same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Right. That a girl doesn't even have the right to get married, period, to anybody if her father doesn't want her to get married. Right. 1 Corinthians 7, 36-39. You know what I hear someone saying? But that's extreme. And believe me, if you'll wait through the day, we will get to deal with that argument. Because Lot knew that one well. That's extreme. That's a little drastic. Mm -hmm. Can I compromise a little more? We'll see it. The entrapment of Lot. He's sitting in the gate. His daughters are married. But let's say something to commend Lot before we finish here. And Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them. Now, as far as we know, we haven't seen an angel before. But do you know what we can presume safely? Good-looking men when they take on a human body. I doubt if they came in on crutches with a real acne problem and balding. They look like lords. You wait till you see how Lot treats them. Now, the Bible tells us that Abraham and Lot did not know that they were angels when they first saw them. The Bible says some have entertained angels unaware. That's right. But to read chapter 18 and then to read chapter 19 is wonderful in this respect. Lot treats these visitors with the hospitality that Abraham had just shown them. The same type of treatment. You know, Abraham was sitting in the door of his, and his three men appeared. 
he rushed around like a madman. I mean, he was fetching the best kid out of the flock. He was having his wife fix him a fe feast. He got water. They fe fixed him up and just stood there making sure everything was right. Hospitality in these days. If it's in those days, that means it was probably kind of primitive so we can do things differently. In, no, that's not what I mean. In these days, by a God-fearing man, hospitality was a very important obligation. Right. Exceedingly important. Lot rises up to meet them, and he bows himself with his face toward the ground. You say, well, they, he must have known they were angels. That was just a sign of humility and greeting. He bows himself to the ground, and he said, Behold now, my lords. He doesn't say, My Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. He just addresses them with a term of respect. Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your <coughs> servant's house. Notice this. I'll be your servant. And tarry all night, and wash your feet, and ye shall rise up early and go on your ways. He just considered that they were strangers. This is a godly man. This is a righteous man. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers. This is a just, righteous, godly man. Two strangers come to the city of Sodom. He's out there to be their servant, to take them home and show them hospitality. We ought to be given to hospitality. And especially towards strangers, I'll remind you that in 1, Corinthians, 1 Timothy chapter 5, a widow that is to be taken into the number is one who has entertained strangers and kept them. This is a sign of righteousness, and Lot does it well. He says, I'll help you on your trip. You can stay at my home. I'll be your servant. I'll walk at your feet, wash, get you up early in the morning. You can be on your way. And they said, nah, but we will abide in the street all night. Nay. We'll abide in the street all night. And he pressed upon them greatly. And they turned in unto him and entered into his house. And he made them a feast and did bake unleavened bread. And they did eat. He's showing the character of his uncle Abraham here. This is good treatment of strangers. This is excellent treatment of strangers. And I want to say that before we finish this morning. That here again, and the, and the men I'm addressing are you and me. Just men, by the grace of God. Righteous souls, by the grace of God. Godly men, by the grace of God. But weak, but tending toward compromise. We live in a day where God has neutered the men of our nation. There be many that are just and righteous and godly like Lot was, but without the strength without the conviction, without the courage of an Abraham. And I pray you to consider the difference in these two lives. And I pray God to bless the consideration of Lot, that it will provoke you in your soul to be like Abraham and not to be like Lot. Be a man of courage and conviction. That's right. And to be sober and to be vigilant, because the devil is out to destroy our families, our home, our church, and our souls as he was successful in the life of Lot. Lot will end up in the presence of God for eternity, but what a ruined family in missing God's best for his life here in this world. I pray that you will consider this warning and this contrast and be, as Abraham was, a man of faith and walk by faith and live by promise rather than a man like Lot, walk by sight and live by prosperity instead and lose everything. You compromise, you lose. That's right.
God delivers the godly out of temptation only to a point. And then he says, fine. You want to persist in compromising? Have it your way. You lose. I lose. May God bless us to be sober and to be vigilant and to resist steadfast the devil who's walking about seeking. Amen.